Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia. We are the millennial movie movement, and I, of course, am your host, Becky Teller, back at it with more film content for you, and we are in the home stretch, my friends. I mean, we are on episode 10 out of 13 for season four, and it's been quite the wild ride, and I just think this season has turned out so wonderfully, and it 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 brought all of the films that I needed exactly when I needed them, which is so wonderful, and I'm just obviously feeling a little bit lighter and brighter this week. If you couldn't tell, I know uh, it's been a weird time in the world, which I feel like I've been saying since episode one of this thing, but we are still at it. And we're continuing to have fun here. So, I mean, what could be better than that? And apparently this season, I didn't get the memo, but we decided we were going to do mostly movies from 1989. I'm not really sure how that came to be, uh, but I'm not mad about it. And we will continue the trend this week with movies from 1989 as we sit down with the lovely and talented Mary Gallagher. And it was such a delight to sit down and talk with Mary um, because first and foremost, we are talking about When Harry Met Sally and it is definitely up there in one of my, I'd say top 20 favorite films of all time. I mean, the writing is incredible. The cast is incredible. I mean, my mom still quotes Carrie Fisher from that movie all the time. So... It was just such a wonderful movie to, one, rewatch for the millionth time, essentially, and two, uh, it was just so lovely to sit down and get to know Mary, who has been on almost all of my favorite TV shows, including Friends and How I Met Your Mother, West Wing, and and so many more. She's also, you know, a stand-up comedian. She's also a writer. And as is the case with most of the guests who come on the show, it was our first time meeting and we just clicked. And I love when that happens of finding people who are just as passionate about some of these films as I am. And just honestly, such a bright spot on a on a Saturday, Sunday afternoon, <laughs> whenever it was, just reminiscing about Rob Reiner's uh, iconic film, When Harry Met Sally, written by Nora Ephron, just absolutely stunning. So I'll stop talking because it was such a great time that I could just keep saying it was such a great time, but I'm not going to do that. So without further ado, my interview with Mary Gallagher about her favorite film, When Harry Met Sally. Enjoy! Scopophilia is the newest thing to hit the market. Defined as deriving aesthetic pleasure from looking at something, it's the new craze sweeping the nation. Taken in large doses, side effects can include an addictive nature to have more film content. If this increase occurs, consult no one and keep listening. Scopophiliacs, and welcome back to another episode of Scopophilia, the podcast. And I'm super excited for this one. I feel like I say that every time, but it is always a delight when we have new people on the show. And so we have the lovely and talented Mal- Mary. 
<laughs> Let me try that again. Hold on. <laughs> I like it. I need a new handle. Emily, can we go with Mal? That sounds like me. Keep it. Mary Gallagher, everybody. Yes. <laughs> I'm so sorry I butchered your name, but I'm so excited to have you here. Of course, actress, stand-up comic, writer, just all around lovely person you are. We've just met and you're, I already know you're a lovely person. So first of all, hi, how are you? How are you doing on this lovely day? <laughs> I couldn't be better. I'm so excited. I can't believe that we got this film to talk about. Oh yeah. You know, cause we kind of both thought that, no, there's no way this could still be available. <laughs> you must have discussed this 10 times with people. No, not the case. Absolutely. Well, and of course, we're talking about When Harry Met Sally, which is iconic. And I, it, I, like I told you before, I did not think it would be this long until we talked about this movie because it's so iconic. Um, but kind of talk me through, you know, why this film instead of, you know, any other film that you could have chosen. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, my girlfriend, Laura, puts it on to clean her apartment and it takes <laughs> four times in a loop. She knows by the fourth time it has gone through, her apartment's clean. And I just always <laughs> think, clean apartment, when Harry met Sally on a loop. I um, love that. <laughs> right? yeah, that keeps it fresh in my mind. No, honestly, isn't it the kind of film that feels like the whole thing was improvised? Oh, yeah. You know, like it's just happening. They just put these people in these rooms and said, here, go for it. And here's what we got, which of course is not how <laughs> the, film was with the brilliant mind of Nora and Rob and everyone on board. But I don't know. It just feels that way. Maybe it's the interstitials going through it with those great couples that are based on real stories, but that those actors are portraying it. It just has such a lovely vibe. It really does. It's so organic. You're right. Like everything feels very natural. Like it's happening. Like we're a fly on the wall, but like with beautiful cinematography. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And great backdrop of Central Park and Meg's yeah. sweaters, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, for those who've been living under a rock and have not seen this film, because I everyone needs to see it. You know, kind of tell me what's the shortest kind of synopsis you would give for someone who hasn't seen it? Mm, yeah, great question. And I've heard you ask this on other <laughs> podcasts, and here I haven't <laughs> even thought of it. Um, <laughs> well, I think it is when a man and woman meet and the timing is not right for mm. their lifelong love affair, right? Mm -hmm. Right. I, I remember being in love in college and, um, and, and we broke up and my girlfriend, Amy said, well, it's never about love. It's about timing. And I was like, what, how do you know these things? We're 22, but it does feel kind of true. Doesn't it? That love really never dies. It's really those different stages in our life when we might click or be open to something. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's, like you said, that is very wise coming from a 22-year-old. I knew nothing at that age. <laughs> Absolutely. And and you, someone about to uh, get married this fall, you're, yes. I guess this is not the time for me to ask you out because it's just not right. <laughs> you're, you're not there. 
Well, if I ever get back on the market, you're my first call for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can't tell you how excited I was to talk about this film. And so I guess one of the first things I want to ask you is, do you remember like when the first time you watched this film was and like in the context of, because it came out in 89. So did you see it like in theaters? Did Did it come later in life? When, when were you introduced to this? I have no memory of when I actually saw it, but I have a memory of the 10,000 times of viewing it. Right. Isn't it? I'll tell you, it was very heightened for me when I worked with Rob Reiner. I worked with Rob Reiner. He cast me on an NBC pilot. And I just remember going, oh my God, we are just going to talk about when Harry met Sally the whole time. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> like I made sure to really not do what I was there to do. I was like, now Rob, let me ask. <laughs> like, oh gosh, here we go again, Mary. And what did he say about like making it and all that stuff? Tell, tell me all the juicy gossip. <laughs> Why isn't Rob here talking to us right now? So- <laughs> Maybe everyone who is a fan of the film knows this, but I don't know if I knew this until Rob told me. Did you know that that is not the ending that was meant to be? That was yes. written? Yeah, you knew that. Okay. I did I did read that, yeah. Okay, so I don't know if I knew that, but I just remember Rob telling me that, you know, they put out the original ending to focus groups, test groups, where Harry and Sally do not get together in mm-hmm. the end. And people were devastated, right? They're rioting in the streets. They're turning over cars. Um, So, you know, they, they went with, I guess, the path of least resistance and put them together. And I, I, I'm curious, like how we would have felt if we had the original intention of, of Nora and Rob, um, I don't know if would we be sitting here talking about it? We'd be like, oh, that depressing yeah. film when Harry met Sally. I hate that. <laughs> no, right? it's true. Yeah, that's a great question. And I mean, it makes me think because it gives kind of a similar vibe to like Annie Hall, that like kind of quirky, romantic comedy-esque. And so yeah. I wonder if it would have felt more like an Annie Hall situation because they don't end up together. It's you know? so cool, right? And are you have you seen Kissing Jessica Stein? I have not. It's on my list. Okay, that's another fantastic one. But yeah, so they kind of do a little bit something a little different there, which is just really appealing and fun as well. But um, I realize I'm just now headed down a path of giving away the ending of films on your podcast. <laughs> so I'm going <laughs> to only spoilers for this film. That's it. <laughs> okay. There you go. Um, yeah, but I, I really do like the ending. I really do. I do too. It's, and it, I love even just watching it again for, you know, the, the hundred thousandth time. <laughs> Cause I think I just watched it a couple months ago too. Cause I was like, oh, this is a great movie. I love this idea of, you know, like you were saying, timing is so important in their relationship, but also this kind of not necessarily traditional aspect of boy meets girl. They fall in love, this, that, and the other. It's they build this like friendship foundation and that's what makes them, that's what brings them together to realize that they love each other in a different kind of way than like, oh, it was destined to happen. We met on the corner, like all this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? 
such a great point. It, it almost feels like, you know, a relationship can go through all these peaks and valleys, right? When people are actually together and yeah. then survive that, it really strengthens them, right? They kind of go through all that before they actually become an actual couple, which I just realized, like, what a beautiful thing. Yeah. By the time they get there, they've been through so much already with each other. Yeah. And I think uh, Billy Crystal even says something to, um, to to Jess's character where it's like, you know, normally you go to bed with someone, then you tell all your stories to each other. And like, that's how you build the relationship. But we already know each other's stories, so we didn't know what to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And yeah. And, and, yeah. and I think it, it, it has such a good payoff too, for me, the ending, because um, they've really earned that during the film. It's not like there's suddenly, to me, this Hollywood ending that was slapped on. It feels like those people in that focus group maybe showed the filmmakers the, you know, organic unfolding of what should have been. I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, and it's, it's, it's a both traditional kind of love story and a not traditional kind of love story because you have elements that are there and then it just takes the right moment in time for it to come together. And even when they do get together in the end, it's because of like, like Billy Crystal has like some kind of personal growth that he goes through. It's like an, a, an, epiphany, like an epiphany that he has on New Year's of like, what am I doing? I'm so stupid. Like, of course I want to be with her. Wow, so true. And you know, you just said too, like the um the untraditional part, like they do talk about Casablanca in When Harry Met Sally. And I yeah. just realized the comparison of even that to the ending that we do get to have, I just realized is the complete opposite of yeah. kind of in Casablanca, right? It's almost yeah. like the antithesis of Casablanca. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's a great point that you bring up because it's it's like an ongoing debate of who do you end up with? Do you do Humphrey Bogart or do you become the first lady of Czechoslovakia? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. It's so true. And you know what I noticed this um, go around uh, of watching it last night? I don't know if I've noticed before that the B story, if you would call it that, of of the two best friends yeah. is so monumental for this film. It's almost like the story is told through those friends. Yeah. Where, where before I just kind of th- saw them as, you know, the 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 friends, the co-stars, but I'm like, oh no, this film is even told through their relationship of Bruno and Carrie Fisher coming together because they yeah. did not find them appealing. Oh, so brilliant. <laughs> it really is. And I, and they also kind of go through a growth too of like, you've got, you know, Bruno is like a single guy and Carrie Fisher's dating married men all the time. And they each kind of have that like, oh, like we have things in common and we get along really well. And yeah, like this is what was meant. They kind of have like your Hollywood kind of meeting of like we met on a blind date and and everything kind of worked out. We ended up with each other instead of the people we were supposed to, <laughs> to end oh, up yeah, with. Absolutely. And and I love the line, no one has ever quoted me to me before. Like that's so <laughs> exciting how that unfolds. Well, I'm gonna start with the grilled radicchio. 
Jazz Sally is a great order. Not only does she always pick the best thing on the menu, but she orders it in a way that even the, the chef didn't know how good it could be. I think restaurants have become too important. Oh, I agree. Restaurants are to people in the 80s with theater was to people in the 60s. I read that in a magazine. I wrote that. Get out of here. <laughs> no, I did. I wrote that. I've never quoted anything from a magazine in my life. That's amazing. Don't you think that's amazing? And you wrote it? I also wrote Pastor's Kishvienis. Get over yourself. I did. Where did I read that? New York Magazine. Sally writes for New York Magazine. You know, that piece had a real impact on me. I mean, I, I don't know that much about writing, but it spoke to you, and I please... I, I mean, I really have... You have to admire people who, who can be as, that articulate. Nobody has ever quoted me back to me before. I wonder if that really happened to Nora, and it's just neat. It was. It's neat to hear Rob talk about how that he and Nora shared all these war stories. Mm-hmm. They literally you know, shared these stories of dating and things from their life, almost like a Seinfeld writer's room meeting, right? Like, yeah, it sounds like yesterday it. And that, you know, Rob sits there and does moan at night, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, which I think we can all relate to. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you the hard question then, which is, do you have a favorite part or moment in this film? Mm, good one. Um, I love the improv that uh, Billy is doing with her. Uh, is that in a museum when he says, we are going to talk like this? The <laughs> I love that moment so much. And and do you know when um, Sally, when uh, Meg looks to the left, she's yes. looking at her partner. She's like, really? We're doing this? We're okay. <laughs> going. I'll improvise. I love that. It's so fantastic. Yeah. Um, I don't know. My mind always goes to that scene. How about how about you? Oh, that's tough. I mean, oh, I think oh, hard to I, choose. It really is. It and the first thing that's kind of popping to my mind is those um, like almost montages of them speaking to each other about things. It's like they've rekindled their friendship, and he's recently divorced, and she just broke up with. Joe and and they're like putting carpet in his apartment, but they're like talking to each other about like random things that they think about throughout the day, which I just find very sweet. (laughs) I love that. Don't you, don't you love the action that I'm assuming Rob uh, had a lot to do with? I'm just guessing. I don't know. Maybe it's actually just written in the, in, in each scene of what they're doing when they're just having a conversation, you know, the wave at the game or getting hot on the street or unrolling a carpet, right? Yeah. It's, it almost feels like an improv game again, like, you know. A little bit. It's like you need an action in order to do this yeah. dialogue. What is it What is it going to be? And it's like, well, we're going to get a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I have another kind of cool connection to the film. So in the opening scene, Billy Crystal is making out with Amanda Reese. Yes, yes. And that's Michelle Nicastro. Do you know who that is? 
um, I was trying to place her face last night and I didn't do the research. <laughs> so sorry. She's such an amazing actress. Um, unfortunately, she's not with us anymore, but she was a Broadway star. She was a television uh, actor. She's an amazing singer. She released all these albums. Um, and her and her husband met at Northwestern. And I got to meet them when I first moved out to Los Angeles. Um, oh, wow. Her husband, uh, so her name was Michelle Nicastro, and her husband is Steve Stark. And um, he got me my first audition on television. Oh, wow. So I kind of just, you know, in a very one Kevin Bacon away removed from, uh, <laughs> I like to think, when Harry met Sally because of, of knowing Michelle. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and then also to have an experience with Rob Reiner as well. It sounds like you're pretty entangled in that. <laughs> It's such like a New York love story, right? Like, I don't know if you could set this in, you know, a rural town or or somewhere else and have it have that same kind of like autumn in New York kind of magic that you get in cinema. Does that make sense? Like there's a, like a texture to like New York rom-coms or something. I don't know. There really is, right? And I'm assuming too, that's why uh, Harry Connick Jr. is such a, a, big part of this, right? Even in the opening credits, you can see, oh, we're in for something. And part of it has to do with Harry Connick Jr. and (laughs) these arrangements, right? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. How how can you hear that soundtrack and not think of this film, right? Right. It had to be you. (laughs) Yeah, it really did. And and that's, I want to put in another vote for when you get a chance seeing Kissing Jessica Stein, because that soundtrack also Absolutely amazing and very much a part of that film. I love that. I, yeah, I'm going to have to watch it later today. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. So then let me ask you as well, do you have some person in your life where you've had this kind of romantic connection where like it was wrong place, wrong time? Mm, great question. If I do it's coming. <laughs> um, <laughs> there is someone from fourth grade who's going to be walking <laughs> into my life. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. Is it Nora Ephron who said the only real place you can fall in love as an adult when you're older is the movies, right? Mm. Because we have our first love and then life gets kind of real and complicated, right? So. Um, I sure would like to think that I do, but I guess I, I guess I haven't yet. Mm, just I around the I, corner. Yeah, just exactly. <laughs> the little shop around the corner, the next exactly. uh, sleeping in, uh, what is it? What's oh, the other uh, Meg Ryan? Oh, Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepless in Seattle. Yes. Yeah. Which is yeah. actually funny you bring that up because one of the things I read was they offered uh, Billy Crystal's role to Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks said, Oh, it's too lightweight. Like maybe not for me. (laughs) And then he goes on to do you've got mail and sleepless in Seattle with Meg Ryan, like not that long afterward. (laughs) That is so interesting. He's like, I'm not letting this slip by again. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And how, how different of a film would it be if Billy Crystal weren't at the lead of this? Yeah, it's so true. Um, you can almost kind of see it though too, right? And I guess that's because we've seen those other films with Tom mm. and Meg. But yeah, um, yeah. I, and it's so charming too with 
um, with Billy and Meg, even like seeing them walk down Central Park and how she's just a scotch taller than him. Yeah. A little bit. Like it just adds such a real realism and I don't know. It feels like they are two people that weren't cast, but just actually happened to find one another. Yeah. And it definitely, and I go back and forth with like those late 80s, early 90s kind of films where like your lead is like hilarious and charming and funny and smart, but he's not necessarily like your Hollywood hunk the whole time. And I always find that refreshing because we love him. Like Billy Crystal is an attractive man, I would say. Yeah. But he's not like your stereotypical, you know, nowadays it would be like Zac Efron or, you know, somebody like that. But we love him because he's charming and and he's funny and we understand that he is attractive in in his own personal way. You know what I mean? That is such a good point, right? Even him showing up in the beginning in the gray hoodie Mm -hmm. and schlumpy. I don't know if that's the right word, but just kind of like very, you know, he's got his ass in the shot when he's right. going rapes in the back. We're like, wait, <laughs> we're in it for a different kind of ride here. Right. And, um, yeah. Even, even with her, right. Like it's so cute how her hair is kind of like a little unkept at times. Yeah. <laughs> in the film and it's just all over the place. And it's like, It's really not until she puts on that New Year's Eve dress. Like, she looks fantastic throughout the entire film, but she looks real, doesn't she? Absolutely. Like, I I know that woman walking through New York City. Like, I don't live there, but I know her. (laughs) Absolutely, right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and it, it just her clothing. I notice it so much more now when I watch it again. It does have that very kind of Annie Hall vibe of setting a new trend for what I'm assuming that time. I mean, I guess I was in college at that time. I was dressing, I'm sure, with those kind of baggy trousers and, uh, you know, a hat. We always oh, sure. We're so cutting edge with like a (laughs) green fisherman's hat on or something in the 80s. Right, exactly. And even I love, it's a very subtle um, note in the passage of time because it does say every once in a while, you know, a few years later, five months later, but you can even see it in how they look. Like, you know, Billy Crystal's hair is different. She's got like Farrah Fawcett. outwards curls in the beginning and then it goes to like the the scrunched curls by the end of it and like when she's crying that joe's getting married they're all over the place and it's just it's so fun and like really feels very real of like this was her hair journey and i think every woman can relate to that (laughs) they really did that passage of time so wonderfully and it feels like without anything major that you would notice is odd, like a prosthetic or something, just like this simple hair when she's making out with Joe in the airport, right? Yeah. (laughs) That 90210 look and it's done so well. Yeah. And like, and I always, I, and I go back to your point about the friends and how we kind of see things through their eyes, because even with Marie and Jess, who are, you know, our, our, our best friends to our protagonists, right? And even their love story, it doesn't feel rushed or unnatural because we only see them at certain points. It feels like, ah, yes, they met. 
ah, yes, they're moving in together. Ah, yes, like there's a natural progression of things that doesn't feel like, oh yeah, they need to end up together at some point. So we have to make that happen. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It yeah. really is. It just sneaks up on you. And, and I noticed too, this last time watching it, how many times Carrie Fisher, is her name Jess in the film? Uh, Marie. I'm sorry. How many times Marie is um, saying to Meg, uh, to Sally, he's never going to leave her, right? Yeah. And, then, and and Sally is reaffirming it. I was like, I didn't even notice how many times that that was happening. It's such a great running gag. Like how many times do you have to tell a person having an affair with a married man or woman? Yeah, it's just, it's not going to leave them. No. <laughs> <laughs> but she's hearing it for the first time every time every Meg time and still not <laughs> accepting it exactly well and it's so funny because that's the line that always sticks out to me is when she goes you're right you're right I know you're right because yeah. my mom says that all the time and so I say that all the time even before I had seen the movie and really? so every once in a while someone will say something I'm like I'm, you're right you're right I know you're right and sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I just realized, I think that I spy a family monologue by Meg, um, you know, when she's talking about her and Joe's uh, breakup. Mm. I've definitely done that as an audition, as an actor. I'm assuming a lot of other women have probably done that in the last <laughs> couple of decades. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is a beautiful monologue. When Joe and I started seeing each other, we wanted exactly the same thing. We wanted to live together, but we didn't want to get married because every time anyone we knew got married, it ruined their relationship. They practically never had sex again. It's true. It's one of the secrets that no one ever tells you. I would sit around with my girlfriends who have kids, and actually my, my one girlfriend who has kids, Alice, and she would complain about how she and Gary never did it anymore. She didn't even complain about it now that I think about it. She just said it matter-of-factly. She said they were up all night. They were both exhausted all the time. The kids just took every sexual impulse they had out of them. Joe and I used to talk about it, and we'd say, you know, we're so lucky. We have this wonderful relationship. We can have sex on the kitchen floor and not worry about the kids walking in. We can fly off to Rome on a moment's notice. And then uh, one day I was taking Alice's little girl for the afternoon because I promised to take her to the circus. And we were in the cab playing I Spy. I Spy a mailbox, I Spy a lamppost. And she looked out the window and she saw this man and this woman with these two little kids. And the man had one of the little kids on his shoulders. And she said, I spy a family. And I started to cry. You know, I just started crying. And I went home and I said, the thing is, Joe, we never do fly off to Rome on a moment's notice. On the kitchen floor? Not once. It's just a very cold, hard Mexican ceramic tile. Hmm. Anyway, we talked about it for a long time, and I said, this is what I want. And he said, well, I don't. And I said, well, I guess it's over. And he left. And the thing is, I, I feel really fine. I am over him. I mean, I really am over him. That was it for him. That was the most that he could give. And every time I think about it, I am more and more convinced that I did the right thing. Boy, you sound really healthy. 
Yeah. Oh, so, well, and it's so, it's a real fear, right? Because when you think about it, I guess in my mind watching this, like as I'm getting older, I think of them as being older. And now I'm getting closer to 30 and they're like 32, 33 in this mm-hmm. film. And I'm like, oh, it's relatable now. Now I get it of like, you know, you want to start a family, you want to have kids if that's your path that you decide to choose in life. And so that whole monologue of her realizing, oh, this is what I want is like, oh, stunning. <laughs> stunning. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you're right. Those things stick with us, right? Even like when she says, I'm going to be 40, you know, yeah. <laughs> I still feel that way. I'm past 40 and I still feel like I'm going to be 40. Somebody <laughs> is just hanging out there, even though it's come and gone. Right. <laughs> it's still in, in eight years. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's another great scene with the pulling of the tissue. He keeps pulling the tissue, using it and tossing it on the floor, which is just <laughs> funny because she's so organized and, a certain way that I'm like, wow, she's so beside herself. She's messing up her apartment, which is so unlike her. Right. Oh, that scene is so great. And and then also to see, it's almost like a callback to the things that they've been talking about as well, right? In terms of how how long do you hold somebody after you've had a night together? And I bet you like to be held all night long. And you can see it in their faces of like, this is what she usually does. This is what he usually does. And <laughs> he's looking through her her index of videotapes that are like cross-indexed. and Yeah, alphabetical. Yeah. And do you notice too, when she gets up and goes to get a glass of water, he's got one foot on the floor? Yes. He's oh. like ready to, to get oh, out of there. I wonder if he slept that way all night with one foot on the floor and his body <laughs> in the bed. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, man. At any minute, he's he's in trauma because Mr. Zero, uh, what is it? Don't mess with Mr. Zero could be <laughs> walking into his life again, which is another great, great, feels like an improv scene. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, man. And it's it is fun and so relatable to kind of see them in everyday situations because it could have been that he says, I got divorced and that was that. There was nothing else to come of it. But we see his ex-wife and the person that she left him for and also the blowback that comes with that of, you know, I was trying to be nice about your coffee table. You're going to be <laughs> yelling about this and fighting about who gets this wagon wheel coffee table. <laughs> oh my gosh. And when Ira and is it Helen? Helen is his ex-wife. Yes. Mm-hmm. When they walk in and he freezes like that, I think we can all feel that kind of like, we feel that way around exes, right? But we don't often show our feelings. We we mask them. But Billy is letting everyone know how he's feeling by just freezing in the yeah. moment saying what he says and just watching Meg Ryan watch him do that is amazing acting right there, right? It's all so real. And I don't know, I just, there's so many vulnerable moments in that film where I guess they're showing us how we feel, but we don't often show in real life. Yeah. Well, and also uh, like a caricature of how different people feel different ways. 
And like that whole conversation they have where she says, Harry, you have to learn how not to tell everybody how you feel every time you feel something. And he's like, well, you don't feel anything. And it's because they grieve their breakups in different ways, even though it's been, you know, X, Y, Z amount of time since either of these breakups have happened, you know? Yes, absolutely. And it's so interesting. We're there. Then she actually starts to get angry at the thought of that. I love that. I feel like I'm a person who is often not in touch with anger and I would like to be more in touch with anger. I know that's like, you know, a healthy thing to, to not just be like, I'm fine. I'm totally fine. You guys, (laughs) I'm fine. Um, so I really learned a lot watching it last night and seeing how her anger was coming up and out as someone was saying, you never, nothing ever bothers you. Yeah. Oh, and that's, that's really powerful stuff. Like, I think if it was handled by anybody else other than Rob Reiner and Nora Ephron, I think yeah. it could have been a really superficial kind of film where yeah. we didn't get those deeper moments, but because of the perfect storm, it feels like that this movie yeah. became just oh, layered, layered on layered on layered. <laughs> Peel the onion. And he met his wife on set. Rob Reiner met his I read that. That's really kind of awesome, isn't it? Art yeah. and so yeah. sweet. <laughs> it really is. Nora Ephraim, I mean, what an amazing what an amazing uh person that we had for so long. I remember her saying too, have you heard this one? That <laughs> she said the good thing about dying one day is I will not have to think about my hair ever again. <laughs> And I'm like, I can relate. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm thinking about my hair right now. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it's a joke, but it's not. We we know what she's talking about. Yeah. I mean, what an unbelievable talent that she had, you know, like absolutely unbelievable. I mean, even when you think my mom's favorite movie is You've Got Mail and like just the writing in that film and all of these films that she's been a part of is just has that extra little bit of like human connection or something beneath the surface that like really makes it feel magical. Yes, absolutely. I want to learn more about her as a filmmaker. Do you know like her background and and where she came from in, in school or it no. feels like he was just born that way. Right. <laughs> she just appeared. Yes. She just, <laughs> uh, and she's unveiling it for us all to see. Um, yeah, I, I definitely want to read more up on, uh, how she got to where she was and it just feels like such a natural talent. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. And I mean, even just looking at the career she had, it's undoubtable that she was a talent, just a talented woman in every regard. Yeah. Her and her sister. Yes. Yes. Wow. Fascinating. I saw Rob about mm, three years ago. We, I was so fortunate. I got to go out to lunch with him. And, um, after the lunch, he said, Mary, uh, come, come see my car. So I'm like, Oh my God, this is so exciting. So I see (laughs) his car, which is a Tesla Mm -hmm. and, and he goes, get in. I want to show you something. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sitting in Rob's car with him and he's showing me, I don't know if you know this. I don't know if all Teslas have this feature, but there is a whoopee cushion 
on the Tesla. Do you know about this? <laughs> oh, what? Hold on. I know. I don't know if it's just Rob's Tesla or if it's every Tesla, if this is an app you get, I don't know. But he's hitting a button and making my seat fart. And we are just cracking up. And I'm like, I've never got to share this story until now because I had a reason to. Um, It was one of the most exciting moments of my whole life. I mean, I'm so incredibly jealous that you've had the opportunity to like speak with him because I mean, and fart, and fart, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I had so much fun working with him, and I remember my favorite thing to do is: um, Have you ever laughed so hard with friends that you have rolled back and forth on the ground? Oh yeah. Okay. So when we were rehearsing, uh, this show, the, the NBC pilot that I was cast in, um, I was with, uh, the other actors, uh, Josh Radner played my husband, Mercedes rule played my mother-in-law, Rob played my father-in-law and, uh, Dan and Sue page who created the, uh, the show, we were all kind of in like a circle and we were improvising and rehearsing and something tickled me so much something that someone said that I threw my body to the floor and I rolled (laughs) back and forth. And just, it was so aggressive, the laughter that was coming out of me. And I just remember them laughing at me laughing so hard. (laughs) And I finally, you know, got up off the floor and I was like, there is no greater joy than what I just experienced. That, that, that laughter, I had to go down I right. myself down and get, you know, horizontal. I'm like, can, how can I do more of that in life? Mm, that's an admirable goal to be a in really, of that. It really is. Maybe I should be a firewoman because that sounds like <laughs> a drop, tuck, and roll thing. Maybe I should just light myself on fire to get the same thing. <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I mean, this film is just absolutely iconic. I go back to that. I mean, it's, it's in everybody's top lists. It feels like of like greatest movies, greatest rom-coms, you know, iconic. I'll have what she's having. Like, yes. So many, so many lines in this film are just like, "Mm, perfect. (laughs) They really are. Yeah. And do you think that, um, do you think that it will ever, I mean, it, there'll never be anything greater than that rom-com. Right. I, like, I don't want to, you know, dissuade our future writers such as myself, but it's, we've, we've won. There's no yeah. more, there's no more to be seen. For sure. And right? I mean, you think to yourself, especially like now in an age where we're like revamping things and we're remaking yeah. things. And there are, of course, movies out there that you don't want anyone to touch. And this is definitely one of them. Like there's such a characteristic to this film and how it was made and how it was put together that I don't think you could recapture in a modern setting with, you know, the newest technology or a different camera or the best fashion or a different screenwriter. Even it just wouldn't have the same like texture to it. Does that make sense? It really does. It really does. Though, you know what I did see recently that I really liked? Um, is it Ali Wong who did the uh, romantic comedy? Do you know the one I'm talking about? 
oh, it's um, it's like always be my maybe or something. Yes. Like that. Yes. Oh, I really enjoyed that. It was good, right? I really liked it. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was definitely new, right? It was mm-hmm. new in the world that we live in today, right? Because yeah. you can look at when Harry met Sally and be like, oh, it's a completely different world today. I mean, even just seeing their lives, which was real for them, but there's no people of color in that film. That in, is true. Yeah. Right? And I mean, it is, it is their life in New York, but I'm, I was just so much more aware of things, even watching it this time of that. It was just a different time of f- filmmaking. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, between filmmaking and just like the technology that they have, that whole scene where yeah. he's trying to reach her on the phone and she keeps hearing him on her machine. Nobody has that anymore. You don't hear I your know. messages as they come in. Yeah. <laughs> call me. I'll be around. <laughs> Just call me. Phone moi. Hi, I'm at home right now. I'll call you right back. If you're there, please pick up the phone. I really want to talk to you. The fact that you're not answering leads me to believe you're either A, not at home, B, home, but don't want to talk to me. Or C, home, desperately want to talk to me, but trapped under something heavy. If it's either A or C, please call me back. Obviously, she doesn't want to talk to me. What do I have to do, be hit over the head? If she wants to call me, she'll call me. I'm through making a schmuck out of myself. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I can render. Don't be afraid to just phone me. Call me and I'll be around. Give me a call. Hi, Harry. Hello. Hi. Hi. I, di- I didn't know that you, were, that you were there. What are you doing? I was just on my way out. Where are you going? What do you want, Harry? Nothing. Nothing. I, I just called to say I'm sorry. Okay. I gotta go. Wait a second. Wait a, wait a second. What are you doing for New Year's? Are you going to the Tyler's party? Because I don't have a date. And if you don't have a date, we always said that if neither one of us had a date, we could be together for New Year's and it could, you know, one I can't do this anymore. I'm not your consolation prize. Goodbye. Yes. Oh, I love that scene. And he's got the karaoke. Do you realize he's got the karaoke machine from Sharp Ravage? Yes. <laughs> oh, got it. When he was traumatized by Ira. Yes. Oh, man. I want to know the timeline on that. Like, sometime between when they, they saw Helen and Ira in the store and when they are not speaking to each other, he went and he bought that karaoke machine. Yeah. Absolutely. Right? So good. Oh, so good. So good. Oh. And I, you know, too, in seeing, uh, oh, here's something that I saw for the first time last night when he is walking the streets um, on New Year's Eve mm-hmm. and he stops and he sees a couple 
he sees a couple kind of laughing and it's kind of like what you were talking about, that realization of what the hell am I doing? Um, He looks into a store display window Mm -hmm. and I never noticed before that he sees these little heads of Wizard of Oz. Oh, I did not pick that up. Yeah, I never noticed it until last night. And I was like, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> um, that's just another tribute to one of the greatest films of all time. But it's very interesting because I, I didn't catch it before. Right. Well, and it's so interesting that you bring that up because one of the things I read on IMDb was that there's a lot of kind of nods in that moment in the end of the film where like he's running through New York. And some people are like, oh, yeah, it's like the apartment when Shirley MacLaine is running um, and, uh, what was the other one? There was another one where it's that same concept of, you know, running through the streets to, to get to somebody. And what? I was like, that's so interesting. And it kind of feels like, okay, so I have to think for a second because I'm trying to think which film came first. Um, but you know, John Hughes's film, uh, is it pretty in pink, pretty in pink with, mm-hmm. um, Molly Ringwald. And have you seen that? It's been a long time, but yes, I've seen it. It's been a long time. Well, anyway, so her kind of friend in that film that has a crush on her is a character, Ducky. Mm -hmm. And anyway, when he walks in on the film, it's very similar to when Harry appears. I'm sorry, when Molly walks in and sees Ducky towards the end of the film, it's kind of a, a similar shot. But anyway... I don't know. I guess that's probably also in every romantic comedy where someone <laughs> at the end goes, wait, there you are. I right. finally get it. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting that all these kind of ties to other films, which I personally really love when films do that. But I mean, even even just their their last couple moments together where he's like, I love it what, that you're cold when it's 71 degrees out and that it takes you an hour to order a sandwich and, you know, all this other stuff. And like that for me feels more romantic than if he were to say all the like perfect things about her. Like, yes, absolutely. You get that little crinkle above your uh, nose when you're angry, which now people use Botox and they don't have that (laughs) wonderful crinkle. Um, Yeah. You know, that's a really good point. I just realized another reason why I think this is, one of my favorites of all time is because I think maybe especially as a woman, if I say that I love the genre romantic comedy, there might be a moment where I hesitate and think, oh, I'm coming across as like I'm fluff, mm-hmm. you know, that I'm vanilla and that there's not much to me. And when you say When Harry Met Sally, it feels like you have this, um, this evidence of this no, no, no. I'm talking about When Harry Met Sally, one of the greatest <laughs> films of all time. It suddenly gives you credibility for saying romantic comedy, which probably isn't fair, right, to the genre because there's a lot of good romantic comedies. But I don't know. It feels like you are speaking as someone who really knows film, not just enjoys a love story. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's a great point to bring up about romantic comedies, even in general of there's this kind of stigma that it's like, oh, they're fluffy. There's not much to them. And 
that, you know, maybe the case for some, for sure. There's yeah. some out there that are like, oh yeah, you put this on and you know exactly what you're getting. Yeah. But there's also a lot of layers to romantic comedies, especially when you like really kind of look at them and like critique them a little bit of, you know, what are they trying to say here about how the human experience experiences love, you know? Yeah. And in studying filmmaking, do you, did you really dive into like something like just, you know, studying romantic comedy? Not romantic comedy specifically. I did do a class on film noir, which was very fun. (laughs) I love, I do. I think it's more of like a personal study at this point in terms of looking at romantic comedies. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And some people have said that they're dead, but I don't really find that to be true these days. Did you see the the Owen Wilson and Jennifer Lopez um, one that just came out? I wanted to see it because okay. I didn't know what to expect from it, really. Yeah. Did you? What did you think of it? Did you see it? I loved it. Yeah? <laughs> I, I, re- yeah, I really did just because, I don't know, I just loved those people and... Maybe I really wanted that lightness um, in my life. And there's a lot more to just lightness about that film. Um, There's single parenting issues and I am a single parent. So I really, I really loved it. I don't know. I just, I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoy Jennifer Lopez in romantic comedies too. I love uh, The Wedding Planner. I think that's a great film. Yes. Um, Made in Manhattan. Oh, Forget yes. about it. <laughs> Come on, people. Yeah. I just realized there's a lot more romantic comedies that I love that I didn't even uh, realize. Yeah, right? It's. I think a lot of people kind of write off their romantic comedy. And then when you really think about it, you're like, wow, I like a lot of romantic comedies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I wonder if the genre is going to change too. I wonder if you know how sometimes they take two genres and kind of um, start to merge them together. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if there's going to be, you know, or if there already is a romantic comedy slasher film or I don't know, thriller, <laughs> or I don't know. Can, can you merge other things with romantic comedy? I mean, I'm sure you could, but if they make a romantic comedy slasher film, I'm buying my ticket now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got to start pitching this. We know. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, you definitely have romantic comedy action films, right? You have things oh, yeah. like that. So I guess you can you can merge that with another genre. For sure. I mean, I think if you have the drive to do it and the vision to do it, I think anything is possible. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Well, I know I don't want to cut us off because I'm having so much fun, but I do know we're kind of getting close to the end of our time together. Um, so First of all, thank you for coming on the show and picking this incredible film to talk about. And we really <laughs> dived into this film, and I think we brought it full circle. I think so, too. I think it was a good time. Um, I don't want this conversation to end. <laughs> we never will in our hearts. No, it's always going to be right here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, what's going on with you? Where can people find you? I want to know everything that's going on and X, Y, Z, all of that. <laughs> sure. Um, so let's see on, uh, social media, my handle is my friend, Mary, 
um, that's my my public account. My private account, which is just for my mother, is my fault, Mary. So don't go to that one. Um, <laughs> and uh, what else? I have a dry bar special that's about to drop. Do you know what that is? Emily? Yes, I love dry bar. Oh, cool. Awesome. So I filmed that, um, I don't know, kind of right when the pandemic first kind of lifted the first time. And that's coming out uh, maybe next week. It's coming out very soon. And what else? Uh, I'm performing a lot around in clubs in Los Angeles. I'm at a place called Flappers Comedy Club a lot in Burbank and uh, places like Comedy Magic and Hermosa Beach. And yeah, just kind of doing my thing. Nice. Well, that's very exciting. I cannot wait to watch the Dry Bar special because, I, like I said, I love them. Um, obviously, we're going to be talking to you on social media for our page as well. And, I mean, just overall, this has been so wonderful. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for hunting me down and getting me on this. I, I'm very flattered. I'm like, wait, someone's thinking of me? What is wrong with them? Yes. So I, I, listen, between you and me, you have been on almost all of my favorite TV shows at one time or another. <laughs> So I was oh, like, yes, of course I want her on the show. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to meet you and, and to have been on this. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Another huge thank you to Mary Gallagher for coming on the show and talking about her favorite film, When Harry Met Sally, which, like I said, is definitely up there in terms of personal favorite films of mine. I think the writing in this film is so unique and so special, and I just, you just can't get enough of this film. And if you haven't seen this film, go watch it. It's on HBO Max right now, and it is wonderful. And it, I think it will always be wonderful and always be special, at least to me. Now, obviously, if you liked this episode and you need more content and you've already listened to seasons one through three and the summer session and all of season four, you're all caught up. There's nothing else out and about in the world that you can listen to from the show. I have a couple options to keep you sated in the meantime. Uh, first and foremost, you can always follow us on Instagram at scopophilia underscore podcast, which of course is my main hub for keeping everyone up to date on what's going on with the show, who's coming on, what film we're watching, things of that nature. Uh, but if you're in the mood for something a little sillier, let's say, um, I do also run a TikTok account for the show. It's at scopophilia, the podcast, uh, silly things going on there more content coming. Um, but, you know, join us over there for a laugh if you're interested. And of course, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show because it helps us out a lot. And if that's not enough, you can always show your support for the show by buying our merchandise, which is on our uh, show page on the Next Chapter podcast website. It's www.ncp.com slash scopophilia. Uh, but if that's too long to remember, I totally get it. Uh, the link is in our Instagram bio to make it a little easier for you. Uh, of course, we have hats, we have shirts, and we have tote bags. I personally love using my tote bag at the grocery store since New Jersey has officially done a ban on single-use plastic in grocery stores, which is so amazing. Uh, so if you're if you're in the New Jersey area and you see a, uh, a red scopophilia tote bag, it's probably me. <laughs> As always, I'm your host, Becky Teller, leading the millennial movie movement here on Scopophilia. And I'll see you all next Friday. Bye.